Amen. You guys can grab a seat. In the first service, they all just went ahead and sat down, so I just assumed that they were within my notes. They had already seen them. So you guys, you guys listen, and that's good. That's good, because I believe God wants to say something today. Well, if you're here, uh, just so you're aware, we are going to be reading our Bibles today. Uh, we're going to be in Romans, starting in chapter 7 in verse 18. Romans 7, starting in verse 18. Uh, while you're turning there, my name is Tyler Wilsheets. I'm the executive pastor here. Um, Luke is actually out, which I'll talk about more in just a minute. Uh, I'm just so glad that you're here. I, I see some new faces, and so if that is you, welcome. Thank you for being here. I know I talked to a few of you. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Glad you're here. Um, yeah, we're just so excited that you're here. And, and uh, at this church, we have what we call pillars. We have three pillars. Uh, they are the prayer, the uh, prayer, the word, and worship. Prayer, the word, and worship. And I want to start with one of those today. I want to start with prayer. Uh, and what I'm going to do is in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you guys to pray quietly to yourselves. But I want to give you two topics that are really on my heart that I want you to specifically pray for in this time. Uh, there's a quote that I read by General Patton. <clears throat> it says this, It is foolish and wrong to mourn men who died. Rather, we should thank God that such men lived. He's referring to the men and women who have fought for this country, who have died for this country. And on this Memorial Day weekend, my prayer topic number one for you would be to pray for men and women who have helped us get to where we are in this country, to be able to have the freedoms that we have in this country and the ability to meet here without fear, knowing that we have been backed by our country to be able to have these freedoms. I think what he said is very accurate, although I do believe it is okay for us to pray for the families who do mourn the losses of those people. I heard a, a lady soldier was quoted. She said, I don't hate the enemy that's in front of me. I just love more the country that's behind me. And I think that was such a beautiful quote. Uh, and I think it's so accurate on a, a weekend like this where we get to observe and remember Memorial Day weekend and what that means to us and our freedoms. Second of all, <clears throat> my second prayer topic for you is one that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, and that is for Uvalde, Texas. Uh, some of you may know I, I am from Texas. I've been through Uvalde I don't know how many times. It's a very small community, relatively. Um, and what happened there, I, I'm, just to put it plainly, is pure evil. It's pure evil. The second reason it hits home for me is because I have elementary age kids, as I know a lot of us in here do. Uh, as I know we're back there hearing the gospel today and learning about Jesus, I just ask that in this quiet time that you would remember those who lost their life and also pray that God would comfort those who are mourning their loss this morning. So I know this is a sad time to be remembering on Memorial and also a sad day to be remembering about Uvalde, but these are prayer topics where we get to go to the Lord of creation and pray to him and what an honor that is to do. So if you would, just take a minute quietly to yourself, and, and I'll come and pray over us in just a minute.
Well, God, we are not naive to the fact that there is pain and suffering here on this earth. God, I just pray that you comfort those who have lost loved ones, uh, who have gone and fought uh, and paid the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate uh, uh, result of what uh, is bad here on earth, God. The results of war sometimes are not, not good. Lord, I just pray for comfort for those families who have lost loved ones. God, I pray that uh, we as the church uh, come behind those folks and, and pray with them and realize that their families hopefully realize that this uh, death, the ultimate penalty they paid, is not in vain. Uh, matter of fact, God, I pray that we realize that you have paid the same penalty for us. So, God, I just also want to pray for Uvalde and those families that were affected there. Uh, God, I just... I, it's hard to wrap our minds around why these things happen. Uh, God, I just pray that we have our minds set on eternity. Lord, I pray that you comfort those families in the only way that, the way that you can, God, that's way better than anything we could say or do. Uh, God, I just pray for your peace, God, that passes understanding. And Lord, to be with those families, God, and I pray that in this time, Lord, you draw men and women unto yourself. God, that the people people involved in these situations realize that there's something bigger, there's something better of this life, and that's you. God, we love you. We're thankful, thankful for you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not that those are downers. Those aren't the up mood setters, though, so let me kind of turn that a little bit. I've got a couple of praise reports that I'd like to share. One, uh, if you're new here, I'm not the regular preaching pastor. That's Luke, uh, and he's actually taken a couple days off with his wife, so praise God. That's a big praise, right? get to spend some time with her. They have committed, you guys know, so much time and energy and effort into this church. You know, Luke is one of the first ones here and one of the last ones here every single week, and I've been challenging him to take a couple days, and so thankfully they did. So that's why they're not here. Major praise. Uh, the second is, uh, many of you know a little bit about my story, which I'm not going to go into, but uh, Tuesday is a big day for us because we're moving into our new home. Um, so yeah. yeah, thank you. You guys... This church has meant so much to us. We literally left our home, uh, all of our family in Texas, <clears throat> and moved here, and you guys have become our family. And we're just so thankful for that. There's a, a sheet of people who have contributed uh, furniture or monetarily or physical needs or prayer. It's uh, 12 font, names stacked, single stacked, 12 pages long of people who have helped us. It, it's unbelievable. It's overwhelming. Matter of fact, I really don't even know how to respond to that. Like, <laughs> it's so overwhelming, but it's been so great. And so I want to say thank you for that. And Tuesday, to be in our own home is just, it's crazy. For those of you who don't know God, I, I want to say this. When you get to know God, or if you're new in your walk with God, the way that our minds work, we start to think, like, this is probably how God will answer this prayer. And let me tell you, don't put God in that box. <laughs> If you'd have told me that my whole house would have burned down for me to be able to get something that I told God I didn't see how I would ever own a home in the flathead, and it took burning one down to get to one, like, God works in amazing things, and he works all things to get, uh, together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his plan. So I challenge you this morning, don't put God in a box because he'll blow your mind. So, yeah, that's, isn't that such a great praise report? Yeah, I'm getting some thumbs ups. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely. So we're going to take a big bite out of Scripture this morning. Uh, I love the Word. You know, it reveals God to us. We get to know Him better in and through His Word. And so the way I've done this is to make it into three bite-sized portions, I'll say. So I, I, one, two, three is what I've entitled this message, and that's because we're going to go through sections one, two, and three is what I'm calling them. Okay? So we're going to start uh, section one, and that's in chapter seven, starting in verse 18. 
Paul writes, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Bear with me, I study through this um, Bible app called Logos. It's a, a phenomenal tool, and they give you little sections of like information, like this section talks about this. So I wrote it down, and I want to share it with you about this section. The focus of this passage is the law and human weakness. We can all identify with that, right? Human weakness, which magnifies the problem of sin. Paul describes either a non-Christian who is spiritually dead in the law or a Christian struggling with sin. If the passage concerns an unbeliever, then it reflects the struggle to do what is good while living under the power of sin without God's spirit, as we see in verse 18 and 19. If it concerns a believer, then it depicts a Christian who, despite the spirit's indwelling presence, struggles to live according to righteousness because of the power of sin and death, verse 24 and 25, also which we'll read in chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. Both interpretations find support within the text of Romans, and both ultimately agree that believers must contend with the power of sin as they learn to live according to righteousness, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. So, I wrote in my notes, explain that in English, because <laughs> I saw a lot of people in the 9 o'clock and a lot of people here too, their eyes kind of glaze over. Here's the, here it is in as plain of English as I can possibly put. Whether you're a believer or not, sin is a problem. If you're a non-believer, you may not identify it as sin, but guess what? That still makes it sin. Sin is sin is sin, and it is a problem. It's a major problem. And I want to be truthful with you, too. If you're a non-believer in here or somebody who has not professed Jesus, you still struggle with that sin. If you are a believer in this room, guess what? We still struggle with the same, the same sin. Literally, Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books, is writing this to us and is saying, I know what I should do, I just can't do it, <laughs> right? We're talking about Paul, one of the biblical authors of the, almost half of the New Testament. So I, I want to touch on that a little bit, and that's where I'm going to pick up the text. Verse 18 says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. If you were here last week, Pastor Luke touched on this a little bit, uh, and what he said is, even if you're not saved, we still have law or the law of the land on our hearts, right? Uh, the example he used was the actual, like, physical law given to us as citizens of, like, the United States or of Montana. Uh, some examples he used were laws against, like, murder uh, and stealing, which those are also biblical law. Uh, but he also talked about, like, money laundering or insider trading. You can see Martha Stewart for that. Yeah? That's, that's a pretty good joke? Okay. All right. 
Those are all laws of the land that can land you in trouble physically with the law, right? That's a a compass or a gauge of what is right from wrong. Have anybody ever experienced that at all? Yeah, I mean, we experience that natural inclination to do what's right. We also experience that natural inclination when we do something wrong, even before we were Christians. I did, anyway. I experienced that. Um, My gauge when I was young of right morally and wrong morally was this leather band my stepdad wore across his waist right here. That was my moral gauge, right? Like, am I going to get my butt spanked for this? Excuse me, bottom. Am I going to get my bottom spanked for this or not? That's a good moral compass, right? (laughs) I don't use a, a belt on my daughters, but some people do, and I certainly got it and probably definitely deserved it that way too. Not that that's our moral gauge for compass of right or wrong. God doesn't spank people, right? But there's still that inclination that, that we know right from wrong is my point. Are we tracking here? We're feeling good about this? Okay, excellent. Um, verse 21 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. BibleReference.com sta- uh, states, Christians are certainly capable of taking an unexpected left turn into sin even though we are no longer slaves to sin because Christ has set us free. I would add to that. If you're a non-Christian, you're as likely to make the same left turn, right? It's like you're doing the things, even if you don't believe in God, you're doing the things you feel like you should be doing, right? And all of a sudden it's like, squirrel, and then we're going this way. And then before you know it, you're like, you've left that so far behind that you can't even see it anymore, right? And, And what Paul is saying in this section of Scripture is, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're excused from those things. What he says and goes on to say in verse 25 is that thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that I am no longer guilty of those things, right? Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? We're going to learn here in just a few minutes in uh, the first verse of chapter 8 about condemnation, right? Like we self-condemn ourselves for doing bad or feeling like we've done things wrong or incorrectly and and i'm just going to be 100 percent honest if you're in this room and you have not professed jesus you have to live in my section one here you have to live in that area where you don't have that ability to fall back and to remove the condemnation right you have to still dwell in knowing what you should do and doing it wrong but then you have to live in that guilt right there's not like this God who removes that from you because I'm I am a Christian professing Christian and guess what I still struggle with those same things I can just look at something different and realize this is not God's perfect plan but if you don't have Christ in your life as we'll go on to read if the spirit does not dwell in you you don't have that and I'm here to tell you it's an awful place to be and, and we, even if you're not a Christian, I was not a Christian for the majority of my life. I, just because you don't have that uh, condemnation sometimes because you can temporarily fill it with like a girlfriend or a boyfriend or going to the bar or golf or work or whatever those things doesn't mean that it's still not there, right? And, and even as being a Christian, we still struggle in those areas, but you just have that knowing in the back of your mind that this is my sin nature. This isn't God's plan for my life, Right? And that's what Paul talks about in these verse from verse 18 through uh, 23, really. And then 24, I love it, wretched man that I am, right? Paul himself calls himself wretched. But then this is the most amazing part. 
In verse 24 right here, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this death? See, he knew he needed to have delivery or to be plucked from this issue, right? Or at least recognition that he doesn't have to stay there forever, right? And then verse 25 goes on to say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, God removed this, right? God removed us and plucked us out of that sin nature. So even when we do wrong, when we don't do the things that are right, we have this godly mindset that we can look to the Lord and say, I know you've taken this from me. But what we do sometimes as Christians even, myself uh, definitely included in this, is we dwell in that sin, right? What I used to do is I would get upset or be down for whatever reason, and it may be nothing in particular, and then I would isolate myself, right? I, we just put ourselves in such vulnerable positions, whether we're Christians or not, because when we're alone and isolated, we're like low-hanging fruit. And if you're not saved, if you haven't professed Jesus, like you're literally the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. It doesn't mean that you can't be elevated from that, right? It just means that you have to recognize, I can't do this on my own. That's the point that I came to. No, I lived in Fort Worth, Texas for nearly 25 years before somebody told me about Jesus. That's wild, right? And the way I look back on it and I think about it now is that I had this God-shaped hole in my life, right? And temporarily I could fill it with uh, I was a college athlete. I played baseball. I could fill it with baseball, right? Like my identity was in baseball, and that brought me joy, and it made me feel like something or somebody, right? Or it could be drinking or whatever. Those things. I temporarily would fill those voids. But I realized that in a day or two or 20 or 100, I got back to having that void. And then somebody explained it to me this way, like, that's because that void can only be feel, filled by Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. We know the good that we should do. We know these things, but yet we just can't do it. It's because we don't have the ability to fill that void. That's how God made it. That's how God rigged it, right? We desire God in our inner being, whether we identify it that way or not. It still is accurate. The bad news that I want to share with you, and I'm just going to be very upfront and honest. I'm the executive pastor. I don't get up here that often, so I'm just going to be very blunt and honest with you guys. If you don't accept the gospel, that is the free gift of salvation through Jesus, what I'm going to talk about for the next 25 minutes does not apply to you. I mean, that's the sad reality. I'm just going to be upfront and honest. If you don't have Jesus, you don't get to walk in the freedom that Paul is going to explain. But in a moment, in a moment, that can change. Romans 10:9 just a couple chapters from here, goes on to say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved right now. Not tomorrow, not whenever you feel better, right now. And what I used to do before I was saved and somebody started explaining to me and walking through the Bible, I would think, yeah, but you don't know. <laughs> you don't know the things I've done. Let me tell you, the guy who wrote this literally persecuted Christians to the point of death. In English, he murdered people. Under his authority, Christians were murdered. And he's writing these letters to us. Think about that. Think about how God uses broken people. Why? Not for the people, for God. God can take broken things and make them brand new. 
He can take voids and fill them. And not only fill them so we're full here, fill them so that they help and get people to see him better. They bring Jesus higher. Like our job as Christians is not to say, look how good I am. It's to say, look how good God is, right? And if, if you're stuck in these verses here before you even get to 24, maybe you can include that first part of 24, wretched man that I am. That was me for sure. I, I just want you to know you're not living in the fullness. You're, you're missing the boat here. And we as Christians have done a bad job explaining that well to people and living that out, which Paul is going to talk about in just a minute. So to recap on section one, letter A, we have the desire to do what's right, but we lack the ability, Christians and non-Christians. B, evil lies close at hand when we do what's right. And letter C, but God. I love that, but God. A friend of mine, actually Todd right over here, he would go in his Bible and circle all the sections where it says, but God. You want to see powerfulness? You want to see God's word come to life? It'll go through scripture and say this, 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 and this, and this, and you start to feel bad, and then it says, but God. Well, we're about to experience the but God, okay? You tracking with me? We're feeling good? Section two, I have in my notes in bold letters and parentheses and exclamation points, get pumped. <laughs> I'm going to, because this pumps me up. It's like, uh, you ever seen those war movies where the general walks through and he's talking to all the troops and you see them like get excited, right? Or the basketball movie where you're in the locker room and people are starting to jump and they're like, oh yeah, man, like it's going down, right? That's how I feel about this right here. And that's how you guys should feel about this too. When I read through this, I want you to have that mentality. Like I'm getting pumped because I want to hear what God and his sovereignty did for me. Like this applies and is written to you to me, to anyone who accepts the free gift of Christ, right? Let's get pumped about that together. Uh, so we're going to read uh, uh, chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 11. <clears throat> there is, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Praise be to God. Man, that gets me excited. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? This sinfulness that we live in, God condemned it through his son. So that we, as it says in verse 1, don't have to live in that condemnation anymore. There's freedom in that. Luke preached on it last week. Matter of fact, before service, I t he asked me, what are you going to preach on next week? I said, Romans chapter 8. And he said, oh, cool, me too today. He put it in his sermon. And I'm like, dang it, man, you're stealing my thunder. Like, what are you doing here? Uh, continue reading. Uh, verse 4, in order that uh, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set our mind on the flesh is death, mm. but to set our mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Give me that. For the, mind, uh, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Good grief, those are harsh words. For it does not submit, we don't like that in this culture, but it's reality, we must submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Listen to this. This is one of those but God moments. You, however, if you've been born again, it sh I should say in parentheses, this applies to you directly and me directly. You, however, 
are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You ever seen those emojis where like the head blows off? Like that's how I feel when I read that. You mean the same power, one third of the Godhead of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus, another third of the Trinity from the grave, lives in me? Is that not mind-blowing? God in his sovereignty chose to indwell in me because I professed his name? What? Are you kidding me? Is that not amazing? I cannot wait to unpack this some. We're going to start in the first part, though, verses 1 through 3. There is no condemnation. Um, Sin or our flesh is covered by the Spirit if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Pastor Luke touched on this last week. If you missed the, miss the message, you can go back, venerationchurch.com, look under sermons. That's a good plug right there, right? Yeah? It's all, we also stream it, so you can look on social media podcasts. I'm not really that techie guy, but it's on there, trust me. I've seen it. Uh, simply put, forget that. Simply put, if you're not saved, I'm sorry to say, you are going to walk in this condemnation. You know why? Because Paul says it right here. Even he walks in this condemnation. There's a difference, though, and there's something to be said about those who profess Christ because you now walk in the freedom that that condemnation no longer has a grip on you, right? There's self-condemnation, but I'm here to tell you, if you're a Christian professing faith and you're walking in condemnation, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Now, that deserves an amen for real. I mean, that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no condemnation. Why? Because Christ came and took that condemnation away like that. That's one of the blessings that we get to walk in the fullness of Christ here and now, today, right? I mean, I'm preaching up here for real. Like, this is mind-blowing. It gets even more, oh my gosh, it gets even more mind-blowing in section three. I cannot wait for that too. Good grief, I'm fired up about that. Do you see the plan that God has for us though? Like, even in our wretchedness, like, there are things that God has planned for us that are so much better here and now, right? Like, it's tangible. Like, people should recognize that within us. But the truth is, plain and simple, if you are not in Christ, you do not have this freedom. Even in Christ, we have this freedom and we know it, but we dwell in that sin. You dwell in the sin as a non-believer, and you can't get out of it. There's just no way. I said in the first service, it's like, imagine you have on uh, like flip-flops or I just came back from Hawaii. They call them slippers, which to me doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Hawaii, if you're watching. Um, it's like walking in flip-flops up a muddy hill, right? Like you, you're just barely getting traction and you're almost getting back up that hill and you just can't get over that hill. Well, that's because you can't. Like it's just impossible. You can't get freedom. You can't get to the top, Right? Because you are living in this condemnation. And sometimes we put on the flip-flops, try to get up the hill as Christians. In reality, we've got the mud boots that we can climb right up to the top of this thing. Right? 
We're not supposed to be stuck there. Like God has elevated us higher, not on our own doing, but on his righteousness for his name and for his glory. Right? I'm telling this. I like this service. This is a good service. People are amening, and I love that. We have the ability to be called higher, not on our own doing. This is what God chose. I don't know why. I'm certainly not God, so I'm not going to figure out, but I love it, right? It's like this ability to be better and bigger and realize this. I can't do this on my own. There's something uniquely special about humbling ourselves before the Lord and being able to live in this freedom that he's given us now. I'm going to go on and talk about uh, a couple of other things here in just a minute, but I, I, I just want to focus. If you're in Christ and you're in this condemnation, you've got to stop. We've got to stop, right? We have to. Verse 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. I'm going to skip forward just for a second here. Uh, the spirit of life is righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, uh, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to mortal bodies through his spirit. This to me is just literally mind-blowing, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Now let me challenge you in this, because I feel like God put this on my heart when I was studying. If the same spirit that took Jesus and plucked him out of the grave lives in you and me, guess what? We have to look different. We have to look different. And I see a lot of you going, oh my goodness. The pastor who doesn't preach that much is going to talk about works. Yes, I am. Because there's something to it. The results of our salvation lead to works. They have to. They have to. James 2, 26 says, For the body apart from the spirit is dead. Paul talked about that here already. So also faith apart from works is dead. What is he saying? James, half-brother of Jesus. If you have faith in Christ, there are works that accompany it. And guess what? You should notice that about yourself. I lived uh, in a crazy world of sports, and uh, athletics was my God. And when, I'm just going to be really bold and honest here. I'm going to tell you guys, I struggled mightily with chewing tobacco. I started when I was 13 years old. I dipped two cans a day, two cans a day, and I cussed like crazy. Those were things that just drug me down, right? I professed Jesus, and he took it away like that. I stopped. I quit all those things like that. Why? I tried on my own before, but I couldn't do it. God decided in his sovereignty to take those things away from me. So guess what? I look different. Now, am I saying that if you profess Jesus, that today God's going to take something away from you that's so tangible, everybody around you is like, he quit smoking cigarettes. Maybe. I'll tell you, God could certainly do it. I had a guy come up to me in tears after first service and said, I'm so glad you said that. He's like, I walked in that bondage for years, and I never knew somebody else struggled with it, and God took it away like that. Praise be to God, right? God is a miracle-working God still today. I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. Things I've seen where I literally have no explanation. To me, that taking that away from my tongue, like bridling my tongue, removing me from the, the nicotine addict that I was, like that was God. Like, and people around me noticed it. I obviously noticed it. But that's what James is saying here. There must be fruit. Here's my challenge for you in this situation, or what we're talking about right here. If there's not fruit, I'm going to be honest with you. I love you. This is in love. If there's not fruit, you may not be saved. 
That's harsh, right? My challenge for you today is to really look internally. Are there fruits? Because I'm telling you right now, the same power that took Jesus dead and brought him to life, if it lives in you, how could there not be fruit? How could we not look different? You, you can't. You can't not look different. That's all right. Is that an oxymoron? You can't not? Yeah, somebody back there shaking their head. Yeah, I think it is. Well, I'm from Texas. I'm excused. Like, we don't even teach proper, teach proper English down there, so. There must be fruit. Now, I want to I preface this before I move on, and I know I'm running up against it here. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. Period. Hear me. What did I just say? You are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone, Christ alone. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. That's how you're saved. What I'm saying is something totally different. That's here. That's salvation. We've got that nailed down. Faith alone, Christ alone. Now I'm coming over here. If you profess Jesus in faith alone, Christ alone, where's the works? <laughs> there has to be works. That's what I'm saying. Is that as clear as mud? Yeah, we feel good about that? Totally separate salvation from works, but works has to go together with salvation. It just does. It just does. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. How can it not? Section 2, recap. Letter A, we know that there is no condemnation in Christ. Letter B, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Letter C, we must bear fruit. Okay? Section 3, I put this section in uh, a little note in my, uh, in my notes here. It says, but wait, there's more. That's how I feel about this section. So we'll read 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. Listen to this. Don't miss it. Open your ears. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You've been made new and given a new identity in Christ. I mean, hallelujah, how amazing is that? I'm a son of God? Wow. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Praise be to God. This is amazing right here, verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, do not miss this, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you believe Christ died for your sins on the cross, you accept him as Lord and Savior, you become a co-heir to eternity. What? So what I've been telling you is that you know what you should do and we don't. We know what we should do and we don't. If you confess Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit with you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to tell you it in secret. It's not really a secret because I'm telling you all of this. The message of the gospel is not about having this perfect life here on earth. The message of the gospel is that G Jesus came and died on the cross so that you could have eternity with God forever in heaven. That's the message of the gospel. It isn't the there is this added benefit of what we get here and now. Like, God designed it to where he gave us this playbook, right? 
these are the plays you should run here on earth and you'll have a better life because of it. And I'm a witness and I know there's a lot of witnesses in here. Not only that, but he gave us the other team's playbook. He said, this is how Satan's gonna try to attack you and this is how you can combat it, right? It's like, I just assume Tom Brady's gonna be in the Super Bowl this year. It'd be like him already having the other team's defensive playbook, which I feel like he does all the time already anyway. Think about that. God gave us the playbook and said, this is how you can win the game. This is the defense that they're going to run. But guess what? That's not the full message of the gospel. The full message of the gospel is that God created man, Adam, and it was good. And he walked with man. That, to me, is amazing. But then we screwed up. (laughs) That's when sin entered. But we have been created to be God-minded, to be in community with God. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, you may have been lied to, and somebody told you that the message of the gospel is, is to, be say, uh, uh, to confess the Lord, and then this earthly world will be great. Things aren't going to be as bad. There's going to be great things that happen to you all the time, or this name-it-claim-it culture, and to which I say, that's a bunch of bogusness. It's just not the reality. Like Paul even says it here, I know the things I should do. I just can't do them, right? There's freedom in knowing that we have Christ. There's a help in having the Spirit. But the message of the gospel is eternity. Not only that you've been made righteous, that I've been made righteous because of I confess Jesus, I am considered a co-heir. What? Like, you've got to be kidding me. God didn't just say, I'll take care of this. He said, I'll take care of this and make you the greatest thing. The greatest thing you could possibly have is to walk side by side with God for eternity. No pain, no Uvalde, no Memorial Day. It's not needed. Memorial Day was fulfilled by Jesus in the way of taking on the cross to fill that gap, that gap between us and living in sin and God in perfection in heaven. There is not that gap anymore. The cross filled that. Right? We're tracking here. Uh, Co-heirs, he calls us. I I just can't even begin to wrap my mind around the freedom that that brings. It, it, It gives us this kingdomly mindset that regardless of our circumstances here, I know I've got these tools to try to make it better. Sometimes we get in this tunnel vision of looking forward and like I'm dealing with work or I'm dealing with my spouse or I'm dealing with my kids in reality it should be God right this heavenly onward mindset of like this is not our home this is not God's perfect plan for us Uvalde is not God's perfect plan for us I guarantee that there (laughs) I was gonna say something I'm not gonna say it make no mistake that was pure evil there are there are think, Tyler, responses for our action. There are conse- that's what I'm looking for, consequences for our actions here on earth, period. Sometimes in our mind, we try to rationalize things like, um, this is what we do. Sin is sin. One sin is equal to the other sin, and all of them result in the same spiritual death, right? But in our mind, sometimes we start to rationalize, like, if you go in a convenience store and steal a Coke, you may get like a slap on the wrist, right? But if you go in the convenience store and take all the money and shoot and kill the clerk, like that's a totally different penalty, right? That's not how sin works. Like one sin is a sin, period. Like it, one sin results in death, spiritual death. I mean, it's that, and it's cut and dry. You can't hide from God, right? Like God knows these things. 
But even knowing all of that, knowing all of our garbage, God decided to make us a co-heir? Are you kidding me? Like, he values you. People in this world, like, lose this value feeling. Like, they feel like they have no value. God values you so much, he sent his son to die for you. Not only that to make you righteous, but to become a co-heir. Like, can we think about that for one second? I can't. You, you know, we can't wrap our mind around this, but when Jesus went to the cross, he had you in mind. And you in mind, and you in mind, and you in mind, and you in mind, and you in mind. Like, we can't, I can't fathom that. But I know it's true. I was telling Todd earlier this week, if God's not real, I, I literally need to go to the insane asylum. I've talked with him. I've walked with him. I've seen him. I've experienced and tasted of the goodness. And the message of the gospel is not that I get to prosper right here, right now. The message of the gospel is that I get to walk in community with God forever, forever, and not have to worry about this junk anymore. Even though we have the playbook and the key and the spirit that dwells in us, that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is the message of eternity. So if the band wants to come up, I just want to be very, 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 very real with you guys for just a minute. I don't get the the microphone except for every so often. (laughs) So like I said before, I'm a no-nonsense. I just want to cut to it and just talk about what we've talked about, and then I want to issue a challenge. We all, everyone in this room, we all struggle with not doing what we know is right. We can all, we can all agree on that. We all struggle with uh, not doing what we know is right. As believers, it's not any different. I'm sad to say, we still experience those same things. If we're saved, we've been given this playbook that we talked about, Right? We've been given this playbook that can help us, that is the Bible, to help us in this life, to experience something new, to become better than who we were before. That's simply not the fullness of the gospel. There is no such thing as fully free here. It can't be. We live in a sin-filled world. You still have to experience all of the trials and the uh, tribulations. So my real challenge and my real question for you is where are you in these three sections we discussed? Are you stuck in section one where you need to confess Jesus as Lord? Because if you're stuck in section one, section two, and three can't apply to you. They just don't, but in a moment they can. I said it before and I'll say it again. I think I've beat it over the head, but it's the truth. Romans 10, 9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're saved. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, lives in you now. Not tomorrow, not 30 minutes from now, right now, for eternity. And that cannot be changed. If the Spirit of God truly dwells in you, it is from now until eternity. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. If you're stuck in section one, you pray that prayer, these are for you now. If you're in, you have accepted the Lord throughout section one, like I talked about, and you know that you know there is no condemnation, but you're walking in condemnation, my challenge for you is to realize that that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is, therefore, no condemnation in Christ, period. If you're in section three, and you're needing to remember that our eyes should be transfixed on eternity, 
instead of now, earthly things, then I would challenge you to get before God, recognize where you are, and ask God to do work with you in your heart. So what we're going to do now, if everyone would, I would ask that you would please close your eyes. If you're in section one saying, I need to profess the Lord, I'm going to give you that opportunity. If you're in section two and you need to walk in that freedom, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you're in section three and you need to have your eyes trans transfixed on eternity, you'll have that opportunity. What I want you to do, we talk about it in this church. What is your next faithful step? In this moment right now, I'm challenging you. What is your next faithful step? Is it to confess God? Is it to remove that condemnation? Is it to transfix our eyes on something bigger? My challenge for you is to take a moment do work with the Lord right now. Ask him to show you what he has for you. Ask him to show you what your next faithful step is. Ask him to show you how you can see him more for who he is, and may he reveal himself to you in this time. Verse 16 in chapter 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. My spirit right now is bearing witness with your spirit. I know that there is eternities being changed in this room right now because of the power of the Holy Spirit moving and alive and active in this room. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in this room, Lord. I pray that you haven't left us alone, Lord, that you've given us your, your son, God, to do what we could not do, not only to make us righteous in your eyes, God, but to make us co-heirs for eternity with Christ. God, I pray for what you're doing in this room right now, Lord. I pray for faithful next steps. And God, I'm so thankful for your son and what he's done for us to bridge that gap between lost and found. God, thank you for this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.